that our political season is kind of on a break here for a little bit, I have found, however, not surprisingly, I have found online uh, and on Facebook in particular, there has arisen a new polarizing topic, sometimes just as dangerous, just as toxic as some of the political fodder that was out there, and it is this, is it too early to put up your Christmas tree? (laughs) It is a volatile topic, explosive. I have found that there are two types of people in the world. There are those that have their Christmas trees up, and there are normal people. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not a Scrooge by any stretch of the imagination. I love the Christmas season, but I also love Thanksgiving, right? I lo- and I know, I know the argument, I can still enjoy Thanksgiving with my Christmas tree up. I get it, I get it. But if I were to think of my perfect day, it would look like this. I would eat a giant meal, I would take a nap, and I would watch football. They have a holiday for that. It's called Thanksgiving. (laughs) And for that, I am thankful. I am thankful. I I want it to receive its due honor. And so I do love the seasons, though. I love this season between now and through our holiday Christmas season. Some of my favorite traditions, some of my favorite things we do. However, there is one tradition that I dread more than any other during this season, and it is the family Christmas photo. <laughs> Parents, you know where I'm coming from here. This is, this is the one time a year where you beg and plead and bribe your children to pretend that they love each other for just long enough to get a photo. This is the one time of the year where it is your chance to let all of your friends and all of your family know that you are just killing it as a parent. But the reality is, after scores and scores of photos you go through, this is typically what you end up with. (laughs) We want joy in our lives, don't we? Sometimes we just will it to be. We crave joy, we crave peace, we long for purpose and meaning in our lives. For all the joys this season brings, it's one of those seasons that reveals what truly matters to us. As we get ready for Thanksgiving, as we begin to think through the lists of things that we are thankful for, things that we believe are most important, most valuable, we can't help but stop and reflect during this season and give thanks for those things as we go right in to our Christmas season. This season reveals what is most valuable to us from our greatest successes to our most painful disappointments. It reveals what motivates us, what drives us, our deepest hopes, dreams, and desires. And if I were to state it most bluntly this morning, it reveals what we worship. It reveals what you worship. This morning I wanna take some time and talk about worship because I believe worship establishes the very foundation of our lives. And it's not just for Christians or or people that are religious. Worship drives all of our lives. Whether you have any faith background or not, you are still driven by worship because we were created for worship. 
We were created for worship. I remember as a kid hearing um, the song Amazing Grace and this line in particular. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Scary for a kid my age. There is this idea that I will be worshiping for 10,000 years, and when that 10,000 years is up, it will be as if we had not even started yet. For a kid with ADHD that's about eight years old, I can't think of anything that sounds more like hell. And, I, and you think to yourself, well then what is hell like? Is there singing? Oh, just wailing and gnashing of teeth. Well, which is essentially the same thing to an eight-year-old boy. But what I didn't understand at the time, which I'm still in the process of learning today, is worship is so much more than singing songs. Worship is so much more than singing songs. Worship is what reveals the motivations of our heart. Who or what you worship determines what you believe how you behave, and ultimately, what you become. Let me say that again. Who or what you worship determines what you believe, how you behave, and ultimately, what you become. Why is worship such a big deal? Because you were created for worship. I heard a statement the other day, actually just on Thursday, that has recentered me at, at my core, and this is the statement. We are not physical beings with a spirit, we are spiritual beings with a physical body. We are not physical beings with a spirit, we are spiritual beings with a body. The reason this is so significant is because our biggest issues are not physical. Our biggest problems are spiritual. At the heart of sin, it is looking for something or someone else for salvation. Essentially, it's a rejection of salvation found in Christ alone. Sin is saying, Jesus isn't enough. I need to find salvation somewhere else. Or, or God's plan isn't good enough for me. I've got a different plan. I've got some different objectives. I've got a different direction I want to go in. God's plan is not good enough for me. Because you see, at the very core, sin is a worship problem. Sin is a worship problem. Let me give you a definition of sin, and I'll have it up behind me as well. This is what worship means. Worship means to give worth or value to something. It is expressing what we find most valuable or most satisfying. It's giving worth or value to something. See, this is not just a Christian problem. Worship is not even just a religious problem. Worship is a problem that all of us possess, whether you have a belief uh, in anything spiritual or religious or not, the reality is all of our problems drop back to a core that is a spiritual worship problem. This morning I want to respond to a question, and this is the question. Who or what do you worship? Who or what do you worship? What animates you the most? What energizes you the most? What captivates you, stirs you, or inspires you? What motivates you? No one had to teach you how to worship. We do it instinctively. 
If you take a look at kids, I have a few of them, so I look at them a lot uh, when I'm not looking at my phone. And you could see this in it, this built-in worship that is in the lives of little kids. They give themselves freely and away to just about anything. That's why, they, that's why we worship superheroes. That's why we worship rock stars. There's this young lady by the name of Jojo Siwa. If you have a little girl under the age of six, you know who she is. And, and there, is this, there is this inclination in their hearts and in our own hearts as well to give our hearts away. And, and it's because we are looking for value, we are looking for significance, we are looking for something bigger, something better than ourselves. And so we assign value, we assign significance, we assign importance. We don't come to church to learn how to worship. We already know how to worship. The task of preaching and singing on Sunday mornings is not to create worshipers. The purpose is to point worshiping creatures towards the one who is worthy. We don't have to teach you how to worship. We know how to worship. The question is, who or what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping the one who is worthy? Everyone who ever lived, who is currently alive, or ever will live is a worshiper. It's just the way that we were created. All of us are chasing something, pursuing something. That's the way God made us. But because of sin, we direct our worship to things other than God, to people other than God. And the result is this. We continue to worship, but we worship wrongly. We worship falsely. Even if, we're not to fo- even if we're not a follower of Jesus, you worship something. You give honor and glory to something. You give your life to something or someone. The question is not, will you worship? The question is, who or what and how will you worship? The question is significant both for the believer and the non-believer alike. If we're going to give our life to something, we'd better be aware of what we're giving our lives to. If you want to flip to Romans chapter 12, there's some insights I want to draw from uh, the beginning of this chapter and the first couple of verses in Romans chapter 12. And as you flip there, in the, fr- in the previous 11 chapters leading up to chapter 12, Paul, the author of Romans here, has very clearly laid out the, the plan and the path of salvation from our fall into sin through God's mercy and grace given to us by the life death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross and as we step into chapter 12 here he is about to tell us how do we respond then in light of God's mercy and grace what do we do as a result of what God has done this is what it says in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 I'm reading from the NIV therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will The first thing that we notice here in these verses, and it's crucial for us to understand, is is found right here at the beginning, and it is what motivates our worship. 
And it says our worship is motivated by God's mercy. In the NIV, the translation says, in view of God's mercy. In the New Living Translation, it says, because of all he has done for you. The motivation for our worship comes from the mercy and grace of God. What he has done for us drives us to worship him. But if we don't understand what we have been rescued from, if we don't understand what God has done in our lives, then it doesn't inspire us to worship. So if we want to increase worship in our life, then we need to better understand what God has done on our behalf. These verses identify the motivation for our worship because they inform us the method of our worship. Because the strength of our worship is not found in how we worship, but in whom we worship. The strength of our worship is not found in how we worship, but in whom we worship. As I stated before, our hearts are always looking to worship. The real issue for you and I is what or whom do we give our worship to? There's only one that is truly worthy of all glory and honor and praise, and he is the savior of our souls. So in light of God's mercy, how do we worship? This is what it said. By offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. What does that look like? We're told what that looks like immediately in verse two. It says, do not copy the patterns and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. What does it look like to be a living sacrifice? We surrender ourselves. We, we set aside the customs and the, and the rules and the, and the direction that the world says. We set aside those things and we allow God to transform us into a new person, changing the very way that we think. What is a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice is someone who surrenders their own selfish wants and desires and follows God to renew their mind, to change their passions and their motivations. It's being willing, uh, being a living sacrifice is in direct conflict with conforming to the world. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse th uh, 13, this is what it says. In the book of Isaiah, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's exposing this worship ish issue related to conforming to the world. This is what it says. The Lord says in Isaiah 29, 13, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on mere human rules. They, that they have been taught. This is a good warning and a good reminder for us that we can fill our lives with religious rituals and traditions but still be far away from God because our hearts are not surrendered to him. Sadly, there are people like this in churches all over the world. They have learned the words to all the songs. They sing them with all the right-looking passion and seem to praise and honor him with their lips, even though they don't desire to live by his standards. When the worship service is over, they continue to live out their own selfish desires. As a result, the Bible tells us we become spiritually blind. It said in verse 13, we actually begin to deceive ourselves. 
So we can practice all the spiritual rituals. We can come in and we can sing. We can even pray and talk and teach. And yet if our heart begins to slowly close the door to God's direction in our life, to fully surrendering what his purpose and his will is for our life, if we don't surrender to what his plan is, we literally begin, it says, we spiritually begin to go blind and deaf to the Holy Spirit. We begin to actually tune out his voice to the point where we really can't hear what he's saying any longer. Singing it isn't the same as living it. Singing it isn't the, sa- isn't the same as living it. The reality is that all of us are susceptible to false worship. That's why Paul and Isaiah warn us and remind us of this fact. Our hearts were made to worship, but if we don't understand God's mercy, we will worship just about anything. This is what God refers to as idolatry. It can be very subtle, but it's poisonous, and over time, it can make us blind to it. An idol is anything that we worship that is not God, anything that sits on the throne of our heart that is not Jesus. Whatever we look to, whatever we turn to for help and hope can become for us an idol, even if we sing God's praises. And if we were to end the message right here, it would probably be a very depressing, very short, but very sad message. And that's not where I want to leave you this morning. I want to give you some questions to write down and ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any area of your life that may leave you vulnerable and exposed to the worship of idols in your life. Here's the first question. What has left you feeling most disappointed What has left you feeling the most disappointed? When we feel overwhelmed with disappointment, it's often because of idolatry. We have made something or someone more important than it should be. We have put our hope in something else other than God. Are you disappointed with your financial status? Are you disappointed with your children, with your marriage? Are you disappointed with your sex life, with your job? Has anyone ever let you down and it just rocked you to your core because you had them at a place of honor that was not appropriate for them because only God alone can have that place of honor? And so you thought to yourself, if I could just kind of be like them, if I could get myself near them, if I could kind of work on the same things that they do, if I could achieve the same status that they do, then maybe there's hope for me and then when they fall there is such great disappointment in us and when we set anyone else up for that seat of honor other than Christ alone there will be disappointment in our lives one of the indicators of your disappointment is what do you complain about our complaining often reveals an idol in our life Erwin Lutzer says this, have you ever thought that our disappointments are God's way of reminding us that there are idols in our life that must be dealt with? The reason why we're disappointed with all of these things is because they are things that were never meant to give us hope, never meant to give us purpose, never meant to give us direction for our lives, and yet we try to fit them into this seat of honor that is made alone for the only one who is worthy. And so there is great disappointment in our lives. Here's a second question. What do you sacrifice your time and money for? This is a quick warning. This one will jack you up. The Bible says in Matthew 6:21, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. 
Where's the first, I know when we talk about money, it gets sensitive, probably because it's an idol worship issue. Where is the first place your paycheck goes to? Many times our biggest investments are often our most sacred idols. What dictates your schedule, your time? Is it work? Is it play? Is it Netflix? Is it your kids? The investment of your time and money can be an indicator of a worship issue. All worship requires sacrifice. What do you sacrifice the most for? And so our lives, our time, our budget, our schedules, our interests, our energy, with all of those things, we are voting for what we think is most glorious. We have a certain number of chips that we can put in at any given time, the number of hours we have during the day, the the limited resources and finances that we have, our interests, our time, and we place those on the board and we vote for what is most glorious, what is most important. And they can be for us an indicator of an idol worship issue. So by definition, according to these principles, church is not the only place that worship occurs. And so for some people, food is a religion, and sports is a religion. It's a place of glory that they are dedicated to and they make sacrifices for. For some people, a relationship is religion. Being in a relationship is preeminent in their lives, and they dedicate themselves to it and are willing to sacrifice whatever is necessary to stay in a relationship or get in a relationship. Even such things as our children or projects at work for some can be a religion. Someone or something that is in the place of honor that you dedicate yourself to, that you make sacrifices to, for those things, they can be an idol worship issue. Here's the third question. What do you worry about? What scares you? What is most terrifying about losing? It's, 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 is it fear of not reaching a certain level of success? Maybe it's fear of people not liking you. Maybe it's fear of being alone. These things have the potential to be our idols because we, in them we find our meaning, we find our significance. Sometimes we even find our very identity. These things are not necessarily bad things, but because, they, because we can elevate them to a place of worship, they can become an idol in our lives. Tim Keller reminds us of this. The problem with our hearts, the problem our hearts have is not too much of a desire for bad things, but an over-desire for good things. The main problem our hearts have is not so much a desire for bad things, but an over-desire for good things. Wanting the best for yourself, your family, and your friends, these are not inherently bad things, but they can reveal in who or whom our hope is found. In Psalm 46, the Bible tells us that God is our refuge and our strength, our hope and our help in times of trouble, so much so that we will not fear even though the earth pass away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Essentially what it's saying here is if our hope is in Christ, we have nothing to fear, even if right now all of a sudden the earth were to disappear from underneath of us and we're just here hovering in the air, I have no fear to worry if God is sovereign, if God is in control, if he is the one who sits in the seat of honor in my heart and in my life, 
then, hey, we're just going to hang out here suspended in the middle of the air until God does something else with us. I'm a dad of five girls. Nobody fears like I do. (laughs) Nobody has as much fear as I do. I keep waiting for the biggest dog I can find to just keep near my daughters so that people are just like, nah, it's not worth it. It's not worth the effort. I understand what fear looks like, but do I trust that God has got my family in his hands? Whatever it is that that wakes you up in the middle of the night, or for that matter, keeps you from sleeping, has the potential to be an idol. So what do you worry about the most? Here's the fourth question. Where is your sanctuary? Where is your sanctuary? In other words, where do you go when you are hurt and in need of comfort? Where do you try to escape to? We live in a culture where we have this huge problem and there is this, there is this term or there is this idea called escapism. And essentially what escapism is, it's a desire to seek distraction or relief from unpleasant realities. It's where we run to for peace, to get, away, to get away from the chaos of the day, to get away from the chaos of our work, to get away from the chaos of our family. For some of you parents, it's the bathroom. <laughs> but for others, the place that we run to can take the form of substance abuse. It can be pornography. It can even be video games or getting lost on the internet or television. These are all forms of escapism, trying to remove ourselves from reality. What is it that you run to for peace and relief? One way to describe an idol is anything that you turn to first instead of God. It might be food, it might be sex, it might be a relationship, but where do you go for comfort often identifies what God is sitting on the throne of your heart. Where is it that you turn for sanctuary? Here's the fifth fifth question. What makes you mad? What makes you mad? Have you ever been surprised how something unexpected can make you angry? I sin more in my car than anywhere else in my life. I don't know what it is about a stranger cutting me off or going too slow in front of me that allows me to have such, that allows them to have such power over my emotions. I know I talk about kids a lot because I have a lot of kids and a lot of my ideas come from kids. And so I take a look at the lives of my toddlers and there is this unique thing that happens in the life of a toddler and it is this, I want to do it myself. I want to do it all by myself. Don't help me. I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself. Until it's time to leave the house. Then they can't do anything by themselves. They can't put on their socks. They can't find their socks. I just put your socks on you three minutes ago. Why are your socks not on your feet any longer? How come there's only one shoe here? Where is the other shoe? Why are you not taking your shoes off in the same place? Why is your coat not here? All the other coats are on the ground, but where is your coat? I don't understand what happened to it. Were you outside and just came in and just, sorry. (laughs) What is it that makes you mad? Maybe your spouse disrespects you 
or your kids won't listen, or you just start yelling. The lack of respect and control or obedience may just reveal the oldest idol of them all, the God of me, the God of self, the God of control. It's what started everything off at the very beginning. The enemy came up and whispered in Adam and Eve's ear and he said, you can be just like God, knowing both good and evil. You get to determine what is good and what is right. You get to determine what you wanna do and what you don't wanna do. You get to determine the course of your life, the trajectory of your life. It's the oldest idol that there is. It's the God of self. It's the God of control. What makes you mad? Here's the last one. What do you dream of? What do you dream of? What are you most passionate about? Maybe it's sports or music. Maybe it's the freedom of retirement or the future that you want for your family. Maybe it's your appearance. Maybe it's how you look or how you feel or maybe it's how you want to look and how you want to feel. Now these are not bad things necessarily, but it is possible for one of those things to become more important to you than God. Any other desire will promise you freedom, but lead to enslavement. Anything that you have to have has you. It controls you. It has you on a leash. Where your heart is aimed, your mind and body will follow. So if we were created for worship, and worship is please, that is pleasing to God, according to Romans 12, is, living, is, is a living sacrifice, what does that look like? How do we worship God? In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, it says this. Through Jesus, therefore... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Let me pause there for just a minute. This is lips, singing, praying, speaking, praising, sharing your testimony. This is one of the ways we continue to offer God a sacrifice of praise from the fruit of our lips, and then it goes on, and it says, and don't forget to do good and to share with others, and for with such sacrifice, God is pleased. This is the action of our hands. It's feeding the hungry, caring for those that are in need, serving, doing good. This is all worship. It's both with our mouth and with our actions. This means worship exists both as we gather here as the church and worship exists as we scatter as Christians all around our community. We worship by living for God's glory. Whether, whether we are, uh, we worship by living for God's glory, whatever it is that we're doing, wherever it is that we're at, we are a living sacrifice. We sacrifice our desires and replace them with God's purpose for our life. We started in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and I want to end there as well. After it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, we are told as we worship God and our minds are renewed, then we will be able to find God's will for our life, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we worship God, we find meaning. 
we find our purpose. It is in worship of God that we are in his perfect will. Let me give you an example. This means for the husband and wife that love and encourage and serve one another, they are worshiping God. It means when a child obeys, respects, and honors their parents, they are worshiping God. When you serve one another in love like Jesus loves us, we are worshiping God. It means when we come to church, I don't have to have the same consumer mentality that the customs of this world has, and I can surrender my preferences and my tastes so that as many as possible can meet Jesus, and I get to be a part of seeing their lives transformed. This is what worship demands. Be my God, save me. How much pressure is it that we put those demands on our spouse or on our kids or on our job or even our church? Things that, that are, are for us a functional savior that we try to see for rescue that are not God and they become our God. Make my life worth living, we say. Give me passion and value and purpose. Make me happy. Satisfy me. Bring me closer to God. Get me out of trouble. It's a lot to expect, and it leads to devastated relationship because we expect them to do what only Jesus can do for us to save us. People walk into churches like this all across the nation, all around the world, and they say, I want a better marriage. I want to be happy. I want to be a better employer. I want to be a better parent. I want to stop drinking so much. I want to drop 25 pounds. I want to balance my budget. How do I do that? Where is the class for that? How do I change that in my life? Here's the answer. Keep yourself from idols and worship the living God. If you worship God, you won't end up doing those things because you won't be worshiping false gods. You will be worshiping the real God and those things can become opportunities and means by which we give God glory and we give God honor and we give God worship. The aim of the gospel, the good news about Jesus is not merely doctrinal or just theological truth but it's lives connected with God, delighting in his will, giving glory and honor to him alone in perfect relationship to glorify him as God. That is worship. To be with Jesus and to let him change the way that you think, change the way that you live, change the very beat of your heart. That is a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice is echoing Jesus when he said, not my will, but your will be done. Because you have loved me so much, Lord, and saved me from the punishment of sin, I will give my life to you to use as you please. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we ask this morning that you would sift our hearts. Lord, reveal to us any false God in our life 
things that we have given ourselves to, the things that make us mad, the things that we're most passionate about, the things that annoy us the most, the things that, that scare us the most, that worry us the most. Lord, help us to put our trust and our hope in you alone. Father, forgive our hearts for believing lies. Forgive, us, forgive our hearts for putting our hope and trust in anything but you, Lord. Forgive us and repair relationships that have been broken because we have elevated them to a God status in our life and when we, they disappointed us, we let them know. But what we didn't realize is we gave them a responsibility they were never meant to have. Father, we pray that you would be our sanctuary, that you would be the place that we would run to for hope and peace that our escape from reality would be recognizing that this is not our home, but to realize that we have a job to do while we're here, and it's to point as many people as possible to our Savior, Jesus. For those of you in the room today that have not yet made a decision to follow Christ, maybe you're realizing now that you have worshipped something else other than God, I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. And as our heads are bowed, and um, I, I want you, if, if you are recognizing that you are in need of the one true God, that you are in need of a rescuer, that you are in need of Jesus, everything else that you have tried has left you with disappointment, everything else that you have tried has come up short, but you realize there is one true God, then I'd ask that if you're making a decision today for the first time that you need a rescuer, that you would raise your hand. For the rest of us, as we recognize this morning that we so easily give our hearts away, that we so easily allow other things to take the seat of honor in our hearts this morning, we are also going to respond as well. And so if you recognize that, that, uh, that there is a worship issue in your heart and that you have ascribed a, a glory and an honor to things that are not God and that you want them exposed in your life and you want the Holy Spirit to have the opportunity to transform those things in your life, then I would ask that you would raise your hand as well as we together recognize that we have a worship issue. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are revealing to us the true nature of our hearts and that in that place they can be restored and repaired and made new. Father, for those this morning who have realized for the first time that they need a savior, we thank you that it is in light of your mercy that, we are, that this is made known and that, that is what drives us to worship you. So help to re continue to reveal to us what you have rescued us from. You've rescued us from the penalty of sin, which is death. You've rescued us from the power of sin that would enslave us. And one day, Lord, we look forward to the day when you will rescue us from the very presence of sin when you return and all of sin is eradicated. We put our faith and our hope in you and in you alone because you alone are worthy. For those of us who recognize that we have a worship problem this morning, Lord. Please realign our priorities. Allow these questions and allow your Holy Spirit to sift our hearts and reveal what might be for us a worship problem. And as we lean into this Thanksgiving season, as we lean into this holiday Christmas season, Lord God, we would be able to thank you for, 
for you are our source and our provision. You are everything that we need. In the midst of the stress of our lives, in the midst of the disappointments of our lives, in the midst of the the joys and the pains of our life, Lord God, you alone are worthy. Help us worship you alone. We don't want to just say with our words. We want to live it with our lives. And so let our lives be transformed as our minds are transformed, that we would look for opportunities to love and serve and give, and we put ourselves second, and we put you first, your purpose, your priority, and then in doing so, we would find the very center of your will for our life as we live as a living sacrifice. Thank you for the hope that's found in you. Thank you for your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I could have our prayer team, those of you who are part of our prayer team, if you want to come up. As we close today, um, thank you so much for sharing life with us. If there are some things that we can pray with you, if you recognize that there are some persistent idols in your life that keep sneaking up and trying to steal the, the seed of honor in your heart, we would love to pray for you. If you have some family um, members in your life that you know are are struggling with worship issues. We want to intercede on their behalf. We want to pray with you. If there is anything that you need prayer for, if you would like healing, if you would like restoration of some sort, then please come up and pray with us. Um, But for the rest of you guys, don't forget, as we leave these doors, we continue to worship. We worship in our cars in the way that we talk to one another. We worship in our homes in the way that we live together. We worship in our community and in our jobs, and that everything we do has the opportunity to give glory to God, push people closer to Jesus. We love you guys. Thanks so much for coming and celebrating with us this morning. (laughs) 